open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we can put one in your hand. Hebrews chapter 3. We covered verses 1 through 6 last week. We will pick up with verse 7. Reading verses 7 through 19. I may just read a few and then we will go through. But <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 3, starting with verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, isn't it great that we get the Holy Spirit right out of the gate on Pentecost here? As the Holy Spirit, God, God does everything in perfect in his timing. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, God's speaking to you, today if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have, been partake, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our confident, steadfast to the end. While it is said... Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled, indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those in the wilderness who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let's pray again. Father, we ask for the anointing of your spirit. Fall afresh on me and your people. Lord, remove me, and may they hear from the Holy Spirit. We ask this humbly in the name of Jesus. We look forward to what you will do right now in your word, and it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Last week, we looked at the blessing and the promises that We've been made, what? Partakers. We've, we see the word here again in verse 14, for we have become partakers. We saw that verse in verses one through, uh, that word in verses 1 through 6 as well. Uh, we talked about partakers, willing participants in a holy calling. Again, that was last week, verses 1 through 6, that we've been partakers, but we've been given this holy calling by who? Jesus himself. I was not called to be a pastor by you or my wife or people. I was called by Jesus himself. I didn't get a road to Damascus experience like Paul did, but I know for certain who called me, and I know for certain who called me into salvation, and you know who called you into salvation. It wasn't the devil. Jesus himself called you into salvation and into now a calling post-salvation. The one sent by the Father on a mission, that would be Jesus, now, and he, what he, his mission was salvation, 
But now he sends us as his envoys, as his servants, to fulfill the works that God has given each of us to do until he returns. And I don't know when that is. Do you? He may return for you just for your soul, like thousands and millions have gone before us, or it may be the rapture. But until that time, we have works to be done that he's prepared just for us. But we have a problem. Our flesh is really weak, isn't it? You know that every morning when the alarm clock goes off, right? It's your reminder of how weak the flesh is. We need the Lord's help just to get out of bed, much less to be faithful. We saw last week Moses was faithful, wasn't he? But just as Moses, he was born of the same flesh as we have. But if Moses could be faithful, we can be faithful. Isn't that great to know? If Paul could be faithful, we can be faithful. If Peter could be faithful, we can be faithful. Why? Because Jesus is faithful. Amen? It's not that Paul was great or that Moses was great, but Jesus is great. Jesus was faithful, and he will be faithful to all those that truly desire to serve him. Do you desire to serve Jesus? I mean, if God was to come and just have a face-to-face conversation, would he find the honesty of your heart saying, Lord, I really want to serve you? And not only can we, by his grace, be faithful, we can remain firm and steadfast. Look back at verse 6 from last week. Verse 6, it says, um, in the middle of the verse, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. I'm just picking up a little review, if you will. Yeah, we'll get knocked down here and there. You ever felt knocked down this week? Sometimes it's just in your mind. No one else knows you feel knocked down, but you feel knocked down, or you feel condemned, or you feel, I've blown it again. We'll get knocked down here and there, but Jesus will keep helping us move forward. One of the things I love about the life of Abraham is Abraham was always moving forward, even though we see his flaws and mistakes, don't we? But he was always moving forward in faith. And we'll not only keep moving forward, we'll be bearing fruit in the process if we abide in him and we desire to please. We have to desire to please the Lord. He tests our desires. Now that's the assurance and the exhortation that was outlined in verses 1 through 6 a week ago. But life has a way of challenging us, doesn't it? Has a way of testing what we truly believe. Circumstances that can foster doubt. Circumstances can bring doubt. You have circumstances in your life right now that bring doubts? I don't know if God's going to be able to solve this one. And verses 1 through 6 were primarily an exhortation. A, you can do this. You got this because the Lord's got your back. Exhortation. Verses 7 through 19, which I just read, well, they're, pri- they're primarily an admonition, a warning. Hold up. Don't do this. William Barclay said, if Jesus is uniquely great, it follows that complete trust and complete obedience must be given to him. Once we say, all right, I know that God's given me this exhortation, I can do it, are we going to trust Jesus in spite of the challenges of life? Um, I believe it's a motto within the Navy SEALs. They say, the only easy day was yesterday. 
a lot of Christians need to understand this. They, they, they have in their mind that once they get saved, everything's going to be easy street going forward. It's not. When farther we get in the book of Hebrews, you'll realize that it gets really tough to follow the Lord. And it wasn't easy for Moses, and it wasn't easy for Paul, and it wasn't easy for Peter, and it won't be easy for us. But we have the exhortation, but we also have the admonition, don't listen to the lies of the enemy that will say, give up, give in, go do something else. You don't really need to trust God because he's not trustworthy. We're going to look at this uh, in detail in just a bit. So verses 1 through 6 are, you can do this. Trust the faithfulness of Jesus. And verses 7 through 19 is, don't do this. Do not do this. Ignore your feelings. Ignore the circumstances that will lie to you because if you listen to those things, the results will not be good. If you listen to the lies, you listen to your own flesh, listen to the doubts. Just as we can be encouraged by the faithfulness of of Christ, and even the faithfulness of a flawed servant like Moses, we can benefit and need to benefit from the mistakes of others as well. Aren't you glad some people have made certain mistakes you don't really need to make? Imagine if you said, well, I need to make every one of those mistakes so I can really test this out. Some of them you would never live again, right? We can learn from the mistakes of others. And if we're wise, we will learn from the mistakes of others. And that's what's recorded here for us. If you're taking notes this morning, um, this message, the sure path of belief. God wants you to know that belief is a sure path. It's a steady path. It's a rock. It's an anchor that we can hold to. I want to start off, if you're taking notes, the first thing, we'll look at three things briefly this morning. The first is the past failures. It starts here in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the, the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness. Now, this is way back. And let me point out uh, why we need, before we get into the context, a lot of your Bibles, this is probably in italics because this is coming from the Old Testament. I'll tell you where in just a second. Uh, but let me point out why we need to be in the Word of God every day. Now, some of you may not read the Word of God every day. You need to. You need the Word of God just like you need to be drinking water. And if you're like me, you need to be drinking more water than you are drinking. I'm still not good at that. You know, I'm like, uh, no matter how many times I think this, I'm like, I need to be drinking more water. I'll look back like eight hours later, huh, when's the last time I drank anything? But you can't do that with the Bible. You can kind of get away with it more with water than you can with the Word of God, although some people I've met are really good about their exercise in water and don't read the Word. But we need the Bible every day because why? Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, it's the Spirit of God that speaks through what? The Word of God. If you want to hear from the Holy Spirit in your life, you need to be reading the Word of God, not just coming on Sundays and listening to me. You can do better than that anyway. But nevertheless, you need to be hearing from the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. Therefore, the Holy Spirit says, and then what is quoted? Scripture. The next italics come from the Old Testament. We need to be hearing from the Holy Spirit. Now, we saw last week that verse 6 closed with an if to the believer. Look at verse 6. If we hold fast, it says. The if here being, we see another if uh, in this uh, verse 14, for we have been partakers of Christ if. We have another if here. This if um, to the believer being genuine evidence of our 
faith in Jesus. And here in verse 7, it starts with another if, and it's requoted from the law and prophet, uh, prophets found in Psalm 95. We won't, we won't turn there right now, but uh, we see another if. Today, if, verse 7, today, if you will hear his voice, then we have the other, the other if in verse 14. So conditional, if you will. If you do this, you can expect this result. If you're going to follow their path in the wilderness, it's not going to be good. If you're going to be a partaker of faith in Christ, that's going to be a good result. But even in Psalm 95, the psalmist, now you think about, we're reading Hebrews right here, right? But this is quoting from Psalm 95. And even in Psalm 95, the psalmist was looking back to the time of Israel. Now, I like to sometimes do things visually, so this gives you an example. Here we are right now in 2019. We're looking back on the Hebrew writings, who is looking back on the psalmist writings, who is looking back all the way to the law and prophets. We're looking back to Hebrews. Hebrews was looking back to Psalms. Psalms was looking back to the Pentateuch. And it's a, as we're looking back, it's looking back to the time of Moses. That's what it speaks of here, uh, the trial in the wilderness, the time of Moses, and the failure that took place within the children of Israel there in the wilderness when they rejected God and they listened to their feelings rather than faith. It's a 3,500-year lesson. Now, last week, by the way, I blurted out 6,000 years. I don't know what I was thinking. That was a, a mental block for a second because I know 6,000 goes back to the creation period. But anyway, it's about 3,500 years to the time of Moses. And, but these last 3,500 years since the trial in the wilderness where they failed, not everyone failed, a few didn't, but most of the people did, um, it's been the same lesson that's relevant every single century every single decade, every single year, every single month, every single day. And that's why it says in verse 7 what? Today. Today. It, does, it says today what happened in the past is the same relevance that today counts in 2019. It counted in 1919, 1819, 1719. doesn't matter when it was. Whoever reads this, Today is today, but it always refers back to saying this example of not living by faith, not listening to God, not trusting God, was problematic 3,500 years ago, and it's problematic today. So to be aware of it, we have to be aware that Satan's always coming to cast out. What did he do in the Garden of Eden? They knew what God, he said, hath God really said? Can you really trust him? He's holding out on you. There's better things. You know, your neighbors are doing better than you. That would come later, but you know what I mean. Every time, every decade, this is still relevant. And what's being remembered here, more specifically what's being warned of here, is the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. We don't talk a lot about the sin of unbelief today, do we? This is really the whole problem in our nation. When you speak of revival, people don't believe God. They don't believe that this is the best way for a relationship. This is the only way for marriage. This is the way that you will see the prospering uh, of God in your life. They don't believe that. They believe, no, 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 God doesn't know what he's talking about. I'll figure it out my own way. 
And so we make our own little gods. Turn with me back to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 13. If you just go way back to the beginning of your Bibles, if you've never been to the book of Numbers, you said, I thought it was just a math book, so I just passed over it. Go back to the book of Numbers. It's not hard math if it is. You know, it's not algebra or geometry or anything. Although some of that is in there if, if you take a good look in the building of things like the ark and the tabernacle, if you will. But uh, chapter 13, Numbers chapter 13, you get to take a little ride back in time here. Book of Numbers, let's take a quick look at the initial unbelief and rebellion that led to what should have been just a few weeks' journey, led to a 40-year going in circles, 40 years of consequence. And there'd be more consequences, and there'd be more tests of faith in that 40 years. But this was the beginning point of it all. This is why a few weeks turned into 40 years. This passage right here tells us when it became the case. Um, look at Numbers 13. I'll just read a few verses, starting in verse 1, verse 13, chapter 13. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send me to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am given to the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man... One, everyone a leader among them. And we'll talk about this Father's Day. God wants all you men to be leaders. In this case, each tribe had a leader. So they put 12 leaders, men that were highly esteemed, had served well. They were all to go spy out the land. Pick it up in verse 20. Drop down to verse 20. They were to go see whether the land is rich or poor. Now, God already knew it was rich, but they didn't know. that. They had never been there. They'd been slaves in Egypt. They'd never been to the promised land. Now, you've got to remember, at the time that they went there, all of what we see today, it was way more lush than even Israel is today. And Israel's bloomed in the last 40 years. We just got back from taking a trip with Calvary Lynchburg. We took a team back in February, and you guys saw how beautiful the land is today. It was even way more amazing then because that had fallen into judgment uh, in, in, the, in the years prior or the years post uh, Solomon and David's kingdom. But at this time, the land was lush. It was beautiful. They didn't know that. They went up to spy it out. He, he said, whether there are forests there, of course there were forests there. There used to be way more forests there until the Romans cut many of the forests down for crucifixions and all kinds of building projects and siege mounds and everything else. But it was beautiful. And then look what it says in the middle of verse 20. Be of good courage. This was the linchpin of what God told the 12 spies to be. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit. And you know, it's in this passage. It tells us, I don't have time to read it, but it's in verse 23. They actually had to take poles. The grapes were so big. You've seen pictures of this. You've seen sculptures of this. They have it on, uh, you, you'll see it on reliefs even in Israel, ancient ones where they have the poles and the grapes are huge. They're like the size of apples. And they returned from spying the land after 40 days. Now keep that in mind because the 40 days is going to directly correspond to 40 years, but they don't know that it's at the time. They were spy the land for 40 days. Verse 30, uh, when they get back, verse 30, Caleb quieted the people. Now, when they came back, um, the ten spies said, hey, the land is awesome, beautiful, lush, fruit, but we got a major problem. There's giants there. There's a bunch of bad people that are about to kill us. So God was just playing a game with us. We can't make it. Sorry. It looked great but we need to stay right where we're at. 
Verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once. He remembered the admonition. The admonition was to be of good courage. For we are able to overcome it. Do you believe that in the world you live in right now? Do you believe, Lord, I can overcome all the evil that's around me in you? Or are you cowering in fear, afraid of everything? Well, I don't know what people are going to think about me. Are you being of good courage? Well, verse 33, then we saw giants. These are the other ten. Descendants of Anak, we came as... uh, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. In our own sight. This is the problem. We, we can't be using our sight. We need what God says. Our own sight is going to lie to us. We were in their sight, too. They were worried about two sights, their own sight and what other people thought and what other people said. Verse four, chapter 14, verse 1. So all the congregation lift up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. God said, I want you to bring back a great report. They bring back a report, and instead of the people saying, yes, we'll be there in a couple of weeks, they all wept and said, it's over. They go on, still in chapter 14. Look at verse 3. Why has the Lord brought us this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Uh, would it not be better for us to return to Moses? I mean, to return to Egypt. They don't want, next verse, they don't want Moses. So they said to one another, let us select a new leader to return to Egypt. They said, there's no way that we can do this. If we go up, all of our children will be slaughtered. We need a new leader. Moses, you've lost your mind. Joshua and Caleb. But, but more than that, Moses and Aaron fall on their faces uh, before the assembly. Verse 6, then Joshua and, and Caleb... Uh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. This is, an, this is that they were showing, Lord, we've, lo- we've lost the fear of you. They tore their clothes. They spoke to the congregation, and they said, the land that we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land. He will give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. And it wasn't really, in my mind, when I was a kid, remember I heard that, I thought rivers of milk. <laughs> and I thought like honey was just bubbling out of the ground like the... Beverly Hillbillies, instead of uh, oil, it was um, honey was coming up and milk was flowing everywhere. I pictured like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory or something. That's, that's not the scene. But, you know, as a kid, I remember hearing that. I'm like, what is a land flowing with milk and flowing with honey? This, is river. this would be good. You just take a cup and just drink milk and, you know, this would be great. But it's a metaphor that the land was lush and green. And where you have a lot of lush and green... Bees have a lot of flowers to, to, to land on, and there's all this grass for cows to eat. It just, it's just lush. Verse 9, this is Caleb and, Eli- Caleb and Joshua coming to Moses and Aaron. Now, Moses and Aaron are still on their face. They're not speaking here. Caleb and Elijah said, jumped up and said, we'll be the elders that speak and, 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 and speak for the pastor and for the leader here. They're like, you guys are not hearing the Lord. Do not rebel against the Lord nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Caleb and said, you can trust us. God is not going to let us down. Um, you might think in your mind, hold on, didn't they, didn't they already have this experience? Wasn't Pharaoh's army after them just 
a couple months earlier? Did not the Red Seas part and they walked through it? Didn't manna come down from heaven? I mean, they had a lot of miracles. You would think that this would be a no-brainer. Mm -mm. Verse 10, this is how they responded to that little message. And all the congregation said, let's stone them with stones. Verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe the sin of unbelief? That's where it all began. Turn with me back to, back to Hebrews chapter 3. They go, um, they've already come out of severe bondage, slavery, pain, tears, oppression, then they go into the desert where they get God's Ten Commandments. They're to believe the commandments. They're to commit to the commandments of God. Then they're to gear up and go up. The commandments of God should give you confidence, not make you afraid. To gear up and go up and take possession, and we'll come back to the present spiritual parallel of this in just a bit, but... Uh, You have 10 unbelieving spies and only two believing. 10 that said, can't be done. And nearly everyone, literally, uh, they went from, most of the people went from a, a, a miserable place, which is their slavery life in Egypt, to a tough place. No one says the wilderness was easy. Would any of you think living in a desert would be easy? No, there's scorpions there, it's hot. They didn't have food. That's why God brought manna down from heaven. They went to a tough place of early testing, but together they were there as one family. They were no longer slaves. They were now servants, worshipers of God, to a place God was providing for them in the middle of nowhere. Water, bread, the, the most holy. You never, once you ate manna, you never had to worry, am I eating enough grape nuts? Right? Everything was in all the vitamin pack. You didn't have to go to GNC. Everything was in manna. Of course, they got tired of that too, and they wanted quail. But they were already complaining, but they were about to cross from complaining into unbelief. Be careful, Christian. Are you about to cross from complaining into unbelief? Complaining will lead to unbelief. They had seen God do so much, but now they just couldn't trust God. So much so they wanted to stone Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Elijah. And the Lord, he was promising them fruit and abundance. He was promising them victory, enemies defeated, milk and honey, green, lush, Notice, he did not take them immediately to the promised land, did he? No, he took them to the desert first, through the Red Sea, over to the desert. They had to be there for just a bit. And there, they would have to build faith upon faith to see the next phase of God's promises in their lives. They couldn't see it in their minds. But what they could see, or that they thought they could see, that they were trusting him. But... What they ended up saying, as God would say one thing, they would, is they would say, we don't trust God. That's why God says, how long will these people not believe me? They're not believing me. Sad, isn't it? That rather than a place of fruitful living, they choose utter failure. If you look back to chapter 14 one, one last time, and by the way, I only have two points this morning. I forgot, it's not three, uh, just two. You're like, yes, we'll get to the baptism sooner. Yes, that's true. Uh, back, to verse, uh, back to chapter 14 for just a quick second. Uh, I want you to look at this. I mentioned that the 40 days will become the 40 years. 
um, in verses 33 and 34, uh, it says, now they, they said that God was going to kill all their children and everything was going to go badly and everything was going to fail. And look at verse th- uh, chapter 14, verse 33. And your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity. That's a good warning to us, isn't it, parents? Our kids could suffer because of our unbelief. Because of your infidelity until your carcasses. You don't want God to call your body a carcass. When he calls it a body, you're in pretty good shape. When he starts to call you a carcass, are consumed in the wilderness. It's not ever good when God starts referring to us as a carcass. Verse 34, according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, for each day you shall bear the guilt of one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. God is a loving God. But he also says there will be lines in the sand that only he says, if you cross this line, there's going to be consequences, major consequences. And I believe that the reason why Hebrews is written, it's a warning to say, you don't have to cross that line in the sand. They were in the sand, by the way. You don't have to cross the line in the sand. You can listen and say, Lord, I'm going to start being believing instead of unbelieving. I'm going to listen to what it is that you're telling me and not listen to all the things that are around me, all of my fears, it's sad that rather than a place of fruitful living, they choose utter failure. God doesn't make us fail. We choose failure. He says, look, I already told you to be confident, to believe in me. Caleb and Joshua, they just believed that all the things God had done in the past, he would continue to do. Do you believe that if God saved you, he's going to carry you to whatever end conclusion he has in your life? But you're going to have to be faithful. You're going to have to take steps of faith. Why did they choose utter failure? Because of the fear of the unknown and unbelief. They're like, well, I don't, I don't know what the promised land looks like, so I'd rather just stay in my comfy little place. This is a lot of Christians. They want to just stay in their comfy little place. I want a cup of Starbucks, and I want a little Devo that's no more than five minutes, and a little Starbucks, and, and, and I don't want any storms at all. I want smooth sailing. It should look like the Caribbean. Have you ever read the scriptures? It's not anybody's journey that, that served the Lord. They didn't want anything that involved taking steps of faith in the face of new difficulty. That seemed way too risky. What about us? How does this 3,500-year-old decision relate to us today? Did I lose the deck for a second? All right, if you're taking notes, the next point and the last point is the present warning. So we looked at the past failures. The next point is the present warning. Not a three point today, just a two point. Um, And if it comes back up, you'll get to see it. But it's the same thing I just said. Verse 12. Beware, brethren. This again. What is the present warning for us? How do we apply this to our lives today? Uh, Beware, brethren. He's speaking to believers here, right? Brethren. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. You can walk with the Lord and all of a sudden depart from walking with the Lord. Others have done it. David loved the Lord, right? And he departed for a little while from listening, from trusting in God. Brother and sister, are you believing the words of Christ? Do you believe that his promise and his plan of victory and a fruitful, in his eyes, by the way, not the, the, what the world thinks is fruitful is not the same. Don't listen to them. 
but in his eyes, it's better than anything you can come up with. Just this morning, I was just thinking I was uh, about to go on a little prayer walk, which I do a lot of times in the morning, and I was just thinking, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I don't know why that verse came into my mind, because I, I already don't want to gain the whole world, but it, the Lord just dropped that in my spirit, and I'm like, what is, why am I thinking about this? Because the, the course of America is everyone wants everything they can possibly get their hands on to make them happy. And God says, look, you just got to trust in me. I'm the one that provides peace. I'm the one that will give you what you need. And by the way, I find that um, our path from salvation, if you think back to when you got saved, I think our path from salvation to the promised land, which the promised land in the New Testament is a metaphor for life in the spirit. Life in the spirit. That's the promised land. If you ever think that the promised land means heaven, it doesn't. We know it doesn't mean heaven because when you get to the promised land, there's still a lot of pitfalls there. There's no pitfalls in heaven. When they get to the promised land, they still have to fight some battles. They still have diseases to deal with. They still have people that hate them. But the spirit-filled life overcomes the giants in our life. Amen? That the promised, life, the promised land is a picture of the life of the Spirit. And instead of flowing with milk and honey, it's liver, rivers of living water flow out of us via the Holy Spirit, which is verse 7 starts with, therefore the Holy Spirit. It's a picture of the fact that the Holy Spirit is now what will flow through us as opposed to living water. And the fruit, instead of grapes being carried, we're the ones bearing the fruit. We're the fruit-bearing trees in the promised land. And it's God's grace multiplying our life. But much like the journey of the faithful men, Joshua and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb were slaves in Egypt. They went from being slaves to testing in the wilderness, testing of their faith, more testing, more battles when they got the promised land. There is this journey that we have to go through. I mentioned I'd come back to the present spiritual parallel, and this is, this is kind of what I want to... Uh, kind of close with for the last few minutes together on this. Um, you come to Christ. They got saved out of Egypt through the Red Sea. It's a picture of even baptism, by the way, through the baptism of the sea into now this new place where they were to journey through the testings into the promised land, into being baptized, Pentecost, by the Spirit, with life in the Spirit, not just the indwelling of the Spirit, which is salvation, but the full immersion of the Spirit, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and being led and filled by the Spirit in daily living. But you come to Christ, you have this immediate joy that you're saved. Your unsaved friends aren't nearly as excited as you are when you start telling them, right? They're not, they don't even get it. Well, why are you all excited about this? Now you're a Jesus freak. Now you're a weirdo. You're all this kind of stuff. So I got saved in South Florida, so they really thought we were strange. We were partying on Coconut Grove, South Beach, all this stuff. Hey, they're like, this is not good news, you know, what I would tell them. This is what happened to me. They walk away, and they begin to drop off your life, and all of a sudden you're isolated with God, kind of like a wilderness. You're isolated with God. But now you have a family that you didn't have before. The children of Israel are gathered together as a family. You now have a family. You have your little tribes in the church, if you will. Not the cliques, by the way. Tribes are better than cliques. But uh, you have a family. But just like Satan, he came to buffet Jesus where? In the wilderness. How many days was it? Forty days. Forty days spy, forty days correspond to the land. By the way, forty days from Jesus' ascension 
or, or Jesus, from the resurrection to ascension, 40 days. All of these 40s, by the way, there's completion, there's testing. But Satan comes to test and see if we really believe in this new faith of ours. When you first got saved, Satan wants to say, do you really believe this? You say you believe it. Will we really believe and go forward? Some of you believe the scriptural command to be baptized, and today you're taking a step of faith by being baptized. You said, the word, I didn't tell you. If I said, hey, I came up with this thing called baptism, then you should reject it. But if the scriptures say, Jesus said, go into all the world, preaching the gospel, and that they would be baptized in the name, then you should be baptized because Jesus said to be baptized. And, of course, he even set the example not that he needed it, but he set the example for us to be baptized. And some of you have believed that. And today, you're going to take another step towards the promised land of life, living, and the Holy Spirit. Because if you take this step, it opens the door for other steps of obedience and faith. Where giants will now begin to fall in your life. But our first couple of years of being saved... Um, some of um, when you, when when we first got saved, and, and you might relate to this as well. Um, some of our past, and this is me and my wife. I'm speaking of for just a second. Our first couple of years being saved. Some of our past unsaved years even bubbled up in our marriage, and we had to relearn what marriage was all about from the Bible's perspective. Because when you're unsaved, you built your relationships on things that are not the rock of Jesus. They're built on sand, aren't they? You thought you, you, you kind of built, well, we built our relationship on fun. And then you realize, well, life isn't all fun. It's got to be built on something stronger than that. We had to relearn what the scriptures had to say about dying to self, learning to die to ourselves. that we actually, the more we die to self, the more the life of Christ would live in both of us. We had to be okay with old friends who didn't want to hang out with us anymore. A little rejection this is early on. New opposition, we'd find, hey, why are we getting opposition in our jobs now? Finances, health, lots of little things. The enemy testing our resolve, do you really think God is going to do what he said when you walk forward in that altar call? Would we say yes, the Lord will be with us, he'll go before us and bring us into the abundant life that Jesus promised? Could we really rest in him while believing in him and serving in him? And seeing him do a work that was outside of ourselves. Personally, here's what I found. I found this. I believed that the word said that I should read the word. I did not, when I got saved, I did not need to be convinced by a pastor, even though we were going to Calvary Chapel Fort Lauderdale back in those days. I did not need to be convinced by a pastor. I read the word, and the word was pretty clear to me that I needed to read the word. So I'm like, this is pretty clear. I, I, this says I need to read it. I'm going to keep reading it. And the more I read it, it began to change me and challenge me too. It not only changed you, it will challenge you. I believe the reason why Joshua and Caleb were so strong in faith is they were more committed to listening to the voice of God than the other ten spies. Do you agree with that? The other ten had a good exterior. They kind of did the. You, they kind of made it look like they were super spiritual. But the word wasn't deep in them. The spirit was not near. It said of Caleb, he had a different spirit in him. Where would that come from? That comes from hanging out with God. How do you hang out with God? Hang out with the word of God. If you don't read the word of God, you don't spend time with the word of God, you'll never develop the heart of God. Nor will you be in touch with the heart of God. 
But I believe that the Word said it. It began to change me, challenge me. Uh, I believe the Word said I should start sharing my faith. So I did. Some actually listened and came to Christ. I, couldn't, I blew my, wow. Because I was used to so many people that would say, no, I'm not interested. But every now and then, some would say, tell me more. Some of them are still saved and living in South Florida and all across the country. That I'm, I could reach out to them and say, how's God working your life? And they're doing new things and growing in the Lord. Me and my wife began to pray and, uh, and see God answer prayers. We believed, hey, we should start praying. God started answering prayers in our life. Had a lady just a couple weeks ago that I had lost contact with, refriended me on Facebook. She said, I, I thanked her for the involvement she had in our lives. We were in young, you know, early 20s, and she came back and said, No, thank you. Your early light helped my husband get back to church, my son get saved. I had forgotten all about that stuff. And I thought that she was a big help in our life because they employed us. <laughs> so yeah, that was really helpful. But um, uh, in our lives, we saw our marriage go from not so great to a tremendous blessing, and it still is a blessing. It's growing continually. We saw the Lord uh, wanted us. We saw the Lord wanted us. I did not need people to convince me of this. Uh, the scriptures did it. We saw the Lord wanted us to be generous givers and giving to people with needs. We started giving when we were still 80000 in debt, and we started giving to people that had need, even though we had needs. I remember listening to Dr. Tony Evans on the radio. He said, if you want to start, you got financials, you better start giving. And that did resonate with me. And I just remember that statement. And I, and I was riding down the road, and I'm like, all right, we need to start doing that. We begin giving to people that really had, had it way worse than we do. There's always people that have it worse than you, by the way, that you can say, wow, you know, stop being self-pity. Why don't I look at across the aisle? That person needs help more than I do. And I'm sitting here whining about, oh, we can't afford the vacation we want. They can't afford anything. So we would start helping in the ways we eventually began tithing. Uh, and God not only didn't forsake us, he absolved all the debt eventually, everything gone. We were able to help more. Uh, we did things we didn't have the ability to do or even the confidence to do. Why? Because the Word of God gives you the confidence to do it. Isn't that great? You say, well, I don't have the confidence I can do this. Neither did Caleb and Elijah when they were at some point. But at some point they said, this is true. And you know what's the cool thing about Caleb and Elijah? They actually still get to go to the promised land. Everyone else will die in the wilderness except for them. Um, kind of wrapping this up, for who, verse 16, for having heard, rebelled, indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt? Everyone had the same deliverance, but not everyone had the same response to what God had done in their life. They weren't grateful for it. They weren't all thankful for it. Though, verse 18, those who did not obey, so we see they could not enter because of unbelief. Don't let unbelief fester in your life. And it will. And you'll find it in a lot of ways you're not thinking it's there. It's just the fact that you don't take time to read the Word means you don't believe that the Word is powerful. You have the unbelief. I don't, I don't really believe the Word of God is any different than the Richmond Times dispatch. That's why I don't read it much. That's what you're saying. You say, I don't believe that. God says otherwise. God says, no, no. The fact that you, if you really believe that you needed it, you would take hold of it like a sword and cling to it. It would abide in the Lord. Uh, by the way, if you go all in with Jesus, the enemy will still pay visits to you in the promised land. It's, he hasn't stopped attacking me in my life. And those of you that are saved, you know he doesn't stop attacking when you enter the promised land. But here's the good news. You're now equipped for it. You have the whole armor of God. You'll still get visits in the promised land, but you'll be able to quench it instead of quenching the spirit. 
we'll have to re-believe, won't we? It's victory or failure in judgment. Seems like an easy choice to me, doesn't it? And by the way, Moses and Aaron, they didn't get stoned, but the rebels, they all died. They thought, we're going to fix the problem, guys. No, 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 you're not going to touch these guys. Clear choice. Here's the choice we need to make. Let's believe and rest in Jesus. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we just come before you again. And Lord, we need you to remind us. A loving Father warns us to stir us back up. Lord, we desire to be believers, not unbelievers. And not just salvation, Lord, but this post-salvation reading to brethren that we as new believers in Christ, Lord, would not have an unbelieving spirit as it relates to us taking these new steps. Victory instead of defeat. The enemy would love to kind of Maybe can't send us back to a pre-saved state, but Lord can send us to a place of being of no value and no use because we're no different than the world around us. Lord, so we pray that you would uh, show us those areas where it's unbelief has, or unbelief has crept in. Lord, cleanse us and forgive us of it. And Lord, may we indeed have the faith that we see in Moses and Caleb and Elijah and Aaron, for that's your desire. Hey, while your heads are still bowed, we're going to have a baptism in just a moment. I'm going to go get changed, and we're going to, this is part of our service. We're, the baptism will take place in the service. But with your heads bowed, I just want to ask if, I know this is a message, again, uh, all of Hebrews 3 is generally a message to believers, but if you're here and you don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, or our heads are bowed, is there anyone at all? I just want to ask, because I got saved in a message to believers. My wife got heavily convicted. We knew we weren't believers that day. And it was June 24 years ago, this exact month, 24 years ago we came to Christ. If your head's bowed, if there's anyone at all that say, you know, I've never come to Jesus, I've never believed the gospel, I've never believed that Jesus is the only way for me to be saved or that I needed to be cleansed, forgiven of my sin, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. You can pray yourself, but anyone at all. If everyone's saved, let me ask you another question. This is going to take a little humility. Your head's bowed. Raise your hand if you've had some areas lately you say, I've not been quite believing God the way I should be. Raise your hand. I, be a little humble about it. Lord sees those hands. Whatever it is, I, I've got areas myself. <laughs> like this, I was driving in, Lord, forgive my attitude. I'll let little things, if we believe God's in control of all things, then... We can be humble and say, Lord, I don't want to have an unbelieving spirit. Let me pray. Lord, you've seen each of these hands that were raised. And Lord, as F.B. Meyer said, we want to be willing to be willing. So Lord, forgive us of our unbelief. Maybe it's something you've called us to do. Maybe it's unbelief. We've not been in the Word, and we've, we've acted like we believe it's powerful, but we've said otherwise in neglecting it. So Lord, forgive us. Maybe we've been neglecting prayer. Maybe you've asked us to send an email to an unsaved family member and we've balked. Or whatever it is, Lord, we've asked that you would cleanse and forgive us of our own unbelief. Fill us afresh and anew and thank you for the grace and mercy of Jesus. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.